0: Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating only the very best video games. My name's Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Ready for my beddy. And my adulthood chum, Minty Booth. Starring Shata Plotley. (laughs) And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Announcement. Right at the top of this episode, we want to direct you to some things. Our usual things and a new thing. The new thing is another podcast called Podcast Advance, which is created by Jeremy Harvey of Chat of the Wild fame, which is a fantastic Legend of Zelda-themed podcast, also part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Listen to that. But also, listen to Podcast Advance. It is a hugely ambitious project where he's attempting to have an episode dedicated to every single Game Boy Advance game ever. It's a lot of fun, particularly because both myself and Chris have now appeared as guests upon it. I featured on an episode talking about Rayman Advance. Chris recently appeared talking about GT Championship something. (laughs) Chris appeared recently talking about some racing game but it was a good episode even though I can't remember the name of the game I think me and Chris are both scheduled to appear in the future on the podcast and hopefully we'll find a way to crowbar minty into it as well so yeah search for podcast advance on your usual podcast platforms and and you should find it it's uh yeah really really good We'd also like to direct you to the usual haunt, which is our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Our3Cents. If you head over there, you can find on offer so many amazing perks in exchange for some pennies of pledgery. There's things such as deleted scenes and outtakes, full bonus episodes, custom artwork, access to the Patreon-exclusive Discord channel, where you'll be at the forefront of the developments of the future of this very podcast, and you'll have a chance to talk to us about anything literally anything (laughs) literally anything you can also chat to the other patreons and our smorgasbord of special guests from our bonus episodes in this last season including the legendary giles goddard from last week's episode we're hugely appreciative of all of the current patreon subscribers especially our latest couple of subscribers nathan bain sam roberts thank you very much for joining and we really would love to see all of you more of you in the patreon exclusive discord chat And we'd be, again, hugely appreciative of any support from any other potential subscribers. Thank you. So, this week, we have Chris's number two. It is a big, fat, sloppy number two, and I can't wait to hear all about it. But before we move on to the dissection of Chris's bowel movements, (laughs) we do have to return to the O3C quiz, where Chris has cultivated... A five-point lead, but it's not—it's not out of reach. There's still at least six rounds left for Minty to to catch up and turn it all around, and we'll
1: see what happens. But before we do that, let's. Oh. Why don't oh. we just? Should we quiz before we quiz to make us more quizzy? It's like pre-drinks, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've got a two-parter for you this week, Jonathan, because I—I I, I completely forgot that I—that this is some stupid little thing that I started doing in the podcast so i hope you're ready because i've got a couple of real doozies for you this week real dingers now of course there are very high stakes because you're currently sitting on a a pretty 225 points i believe so if you get this question wrong you're gonna go right back down to zero yeah 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 yeah, rise up you're gonna go down to zero points so as of the twenty second of August, twenty twenty one, name a Pokemon with no weaknesses.
0: Oh. That is a good question. I know what used to be one. There's two, I think, but that might have changed with this kind of thing. But I'm gonna
1: say, I'm gonna say Spiritomb. Spiritomb is not correct, I'm afraid.
0: Oh. Oh, bugger! Down the slide. I thought like Spiritomb and Sableye were like Dark and. Ghost, They're so they had ghost.
1: no weaknesses, but has that changed? With the introduction of the fairy type in Generation 6, Ugh. they now have a weakness in fairy. Well. Question two. Name a Pokemon with no weaknesses.
0: Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go for... I'm guessing it's going to have to be something that's kind of at least part type fairy then. Okay, I'm going to go for uh, Zamazenta.
1: Incorrect. Oh, oh Minus bugger. 2
2: million points.
1: Oh, so <laughs> Jonathan goes back down to uh, minus 2 million points. There are only three <laughs> Pokemon with no weaknesses. They are the Generation 5 Monotype Electric line dynamo Electric and Electros, Ooh. all electric with the ability Levitate, uh, which means that they're immune to ground-type moves. Didn't think about that. Which gives them zero weaknesses at all.
0: Well, that's that's not only uh, humbling, but also uh, good trivia, which I'm, I'm always, uh, always a mm. fan of hearing. Humbling,
1: yet uplifting for, for the rest of us. Indeed. So, this round of
0: the O3C quiz, I have called The Return of Mouse of Games. Oh. All right, okay. So a, of, a few weeks back, we had uh, we had the return of Hose of Games, and now we've got the return of Mouse of Games, where I change the letter in the title of a video game, then give you a synopsis of that game. Let's see how you fare. It's fastest fingers first, okay. so gird up. And as a clue, these are all games that have featured on at least one of our lists. Okay. queen One. This 32 bit platforming game stars the Pied Piper of Hamelin, but he doesn't have any arms or legs. Uh, 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 uh Ratman. <laughs> Correct. Yes, the answer is not Rayman. It is, of course, Ratman. Oh, jeez. Okay. Uh, (laughs) These (laughs) these
2: uh, make my head like swell and hurt (laughs) (laughs) when I'm
0: trying to I'm trying to process the names of like close to 300 games now. (laughs) Question two. Okay. In this atmospheric 2D adventure game, you control a footballer who manages to sneak past the high defensive line whilst abiding by the
1: rules. Onside.
0: That is the oh, correct answer. Yes, you. it's inside, It is onside. That's so good. Well
2: done. Ha- I'm happy to concede that one. That's really good.
0: <laughs> Next question, please. <laughs> In this cross franchise beat 'em up game, you play as a selection of different cats.
2: Oh. I think I know the game, and I can't. I can't think what to substitute.
1: Um, pussy. River Kitty Ransom.
0: <laughs> okay. that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great guess, but of course it is not the right answer for that. River City Ransom did not appear on our, no, our list. that is
2: good. Yeah.
0: Well, the answer is not Fighters Megamix. It is Fighters Mogamix. Oh, oh Mog. <laughs> oh. Question four. Rainbow-coloured parasitic aliens celebrate with a monumental festival in this first-person sci-fi adventure.
1: Metroid Pride. Oh, that is the correct
0: answer. Well done, Minty.
1: Yes, it is not Metroid
0: Prime. It is Metroid Pride. Very good. Very good. Well done. Last one. In this handheld RPG, you embark on an epic quest to become the greatest baker as you seek... Oh God, he's in there like lightning. (laughs) He absolutely is. I'm going to finish the clue as you seek to create... The perfect, precious bap, of course. The answer is not golden, sun. It is golden bun. That's good. Congratulations, Minty. You win this round with three points to one, and you have clawed some points back. (laughs) You are now just three points behind. So, what have we been playing this week? Chris, why don't you kick us off with uh, your gaming activity from the last couple of weeks. I believe as we left you, you well, you're in the midst of building a fully functioning emulation station. Correct.
2: Have you managed to unearth some goodies? I have, and I've, I've continued my retro gaming odyssey. I, I'm at the point now where... When I started the project, I bought a two terabyte hard drive and I thought that would be perfect. And already after a couple of weeks of doing this, I'm thinking, I, I probably need more than that, to be honest, if I'm really doing this properly. <laughs> so I've, I've played all Get sorts. Give me a 12. I played a nice chunk of the Sega Rally franchise. Like, obviously, I, I know Sega Rally, but I had never, ever played Sega Rally 2 on the Dreamcast. Ah. And that's that's a game I... I owned on disc for a while when I had the console, and I just never put it in the in the machine. So I was I was surprised. Like it's it's a perfectly decent racing game. It's not a patch on the original either arcade or Saturn release, to be honest. So naturally, after playing that and enjoying it, the next step was to boot the original up on the Saturn and then try to improve times one day when my brother Tom came over. It's just such a good game. Sega Rally holds up so well, even years and years on. It really, 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 really is a, is a great racing game. Having that racing bug, I also completed Sonic R again. Oh, nice. <laughs> but bizarrely, I had way more trouble this time. And I remember when I talked about it on my list, I made the claim that I could beat the game 100% in about 45 minutes with a bit of practice. And yeah. whilst I got close when I did it... Don't tell me you went over 50 minutes. <laughs> whilst I got close when I played through it on the PC earlier in the year... I think the Saturn original is actually pitched at a slightly higher difficulty because the last probably decade I've played it through on the Sonic Gems collection. Ah. And and then obviously most recently the, the PC port. And I do wonder if the difficulty was adapted slightly in that because I found the Saturn one much tougher, especially kind of unlocking the, the additional characters. It just seems they were like on my heels that little bit more, like the sort of rubber banding was a bit more severe. So maybe my childhood prowess has been clouded a little bit. <laughs> but either way, I have done it. Talking of Sonic Art, I, I think I mentioned at some point over the last couple of years a, a site called Retro Achievements. But if not, it's, it's basically a service which links up to popular emulators like RetroArch and it lets users create achievement lists for classic games. And every once in a while, I'll, I'll dip in and out and kind of use that to help me play something I didn't necessarily know about. And Saturn recently got support on that site as well. And I was shocked to see that Sonic R has a really extensive achievement list. And, and playing it over the years, I've always considered Sonic R a bit light on content. Again, when we talked about it on our list, it's like, it's not a big game. It's only five tracks. It's not, it's not a big challenge. But outside of just beating the game, there's achievements on that site for beating time trial times across all the variants specific to that mode. There's challenges to try and unlock certain characters just using other certain characters. There's challenges to beat the game on on different difficulties. Like, I'm I'm not going to dedicate the last bit of my summer holiday to just playing Sonic R. But I love how dedicated players put that level of effort into just keeping old games fresh. It warms the heart. (laughs) People just don't let these games die. And that's really nice. After I moved away from the Saturn, I spent a few days filling out a collection of PC Engine and PC Engine CD titles. And that was a console that existed kind of alongside the Mega Drive and the SNES. But it never had the traction that either of those platforms did in the West. And as far as I know, it never released in Europe at all. So the only experiences I've, I've ever had has been through emulation just here and there, the odd game. In Japan, though, it really thrived. And it has a huge amount of really cool action games and, and shooters, as well as about 50 incomprehensible Young games, which obviously I haven't been bothered with. <laughs> but I, I have found some really nice, you know, essentially hidden gems in the library that I'd, I'd never come across before. So I started playing a game called Valis, which it was a series that had a number of entries on the machine. And they're kind of Tight action platformers, not too dissimilar to like early Castlevania or or Capcom's Ghouls and Ghosts or Ghosts and Goblins games. And they're really nice. Like, it's got lovely art. It's got a really good CD soundtrack. It's got kind of anime cutscenes between each stage that I don't understand at all because it's in Japanese, but it looks cool. And coincidentally, off the back of that, the first three games in the Valis series have just been announced for a new Switch collection, which I'm very, very doubtful will come west. But it was nice to see that pop up on a page and go, oh, I know that game, (laughs) when just a week ago, I wouldn't have had a clue. You know, a big part of kind of wanting to put this library together was to just further expand my knowledge of of weird games and there it was like immediate vindication of knowing about something i didn't just previously the console also has a game just called minesweeper and it is essentially just minesweeper but it's a bizarre take on it because it does have the standard mode like you'd have on any windows machine where you just set the size of the grid and, and try and work through it kind of thing like a logic puzzle but it's also got a cool little quest mode where you're working against the clock to guide a little man through each board as a little animation is kind of playing at the top of the screen. And it just gives Minesweeper a bit of character. It's never been my favorite logic puzzle game because I've always found in Minesweeper, even if you are good... You can find yourself in impossible situations that just become total guesswork. But I do appreciate in this version that a team tried to do something a little bit different with what was essentially just a Windows pack-in standard. Over on the N64, Georgia got very excited scrolling through the library and recommended I play Rugrats in Paris, a game that she remembered very fondly as a kid.
0: Does it hold up? (laughs) It's not very good.
2: (laughs) But after three or four hours, I did beat it, which she had never done as a kid, so I could rub it in the face of of tiny (laughs) Georgia. So, you know, the summer hasn't been a total waste. <laughs> you basically take part in a variety of mini games across reptile land. I've never even seen the film Rugrats in Paris, so I, I guess it ties into that. But you win tickets that allow you to buy other items or, or complete fetch quests or unlock more games kind of thing. I could have said it was a 5 out of 10 as good as Balan Wonderworld mm-hmm. game if it weren't for the controls, because the the movement is all on the left stick, which is is fine for a third-person game. But the way it's implemented means that left and right turns the character as opposed to moving in that direction directly, as we kind of expect these days. So it's a lot of walking forwards, stopping, turning moving forwards, stopping, turning, and it just feels really unpleasant. And by the end of the game, the final big battle, you control Reptar and fight a big snail thing, and it was almost impossible. Like if I was a child playing this game, the N64 would have gone clean out the window or I would have smashed up the controls because it it really was not a fair fight at that point because it was just uncomfortable to move around. But I did it, so well done, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) The final thing I wanted to highlight was back on the Dreamcast again. I've been playing a game called Tokyo Extreme Racer, and this is a game I I had played a little bit of before, but I'd never given that much time to. And I remember when the Dreamcast first launched, my friend James was the only person I knew to ever have the console in real life. When the game came out, I, I remember him really obsessing over it. Like It was called Tokyo Highway Challenge in this country rather than Extreme Racer. No idea why it was changed, but the premise is super simple. You just take a car onto a clockwise or anti-clockwise ring road that's modeled loosely on a bit of Japanese highway. And then you just challenge other racers to street duels. And then you win the races and you get money and you upgrade your car and you get back on the road. And it's it's a very grindy game with just that one bit of road essentially going one way or the other. And, and when I used to watch James play it as a kid, I could not understand the appeal. <laughs> but putting it on now as an adult, it's it's such a zen experience. And, and the handling is quite loose, at least until you modify your car a bit. There's no damage modeling at all. Some encounters can end up being really dirty because you can just slam rival cars off the road completely because there's no penalty. The AI can be really hit and miss. And the progression is essentially non-existent other than putting a new muffler on a car. (laughs) Muffler. But I've put quite a few hours into it because it's it's really relaxing and it's really simple and it's got a nice sense of atmosphere kind of cruising around these roads at night. And it had quite a few sequels across the Dreamcast and the PS2 and the 360 and the PS3 and the PSP. And maybe later entries are better, but I worry that they'll probably have lost a little of what made this stand out to me and that it's just such a pure game. So, yeah, I've really enjoyed that. So, essentially, there are five or six games out of my current library, I think, of about 28,000. So, uh, making real strides, I think. <laughs> I
0: should should be through the par in no time at all. Chipping away. Minty, how about you? How have you got on with Skyward Sword HD?
1: Well. Well? I'm sorry to say. Oh. I have completed it yay well okay yeah yay (laughs) but my i'm sorry fellas my 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 opinion of this game is that it's bad oh wow i think it's a bad zelda game i think it's a bad game i think it's oh okay right i think it's an ugly game both graphically and narratively <laughs> in, uh, in 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 reading about it reading that the graphical style was um inspired by the post-impressionists to have this to have this art movement to, uh, in, inspire the graphical tone of your game and to give everybody fucking lip liner <laughs> it was <laughs> it what it, it was not a nice game to look at i didn't see anything as i was playing it where i was like wow, oh, this is really nice. I, I, I get it. it's a Wii game. The Wii was not, that's not even fair to say either. Like the, There were some really incredible looking games on the Wii. I mean, we had Mario Galaxy, Mario Galaxy 2, these wonderful romps into space with these wonderful expansive 3D levels. But oh, there, there was just nothing particularly interesting to look at in this game. And there was nothing really interesting narratively either. Like part of me feels like Skyward Sword was, and this is uncharitable, I know, but I feel like it was just, for me, it was a very late tech demo for the Wii Motion Plus. Mm. That sort of that one-to-one sword movement. And then you had that coupled and compounded by weird nerds demanding some semblance of chronology in the Legend of Zelda timeline. (laughs) completely unnecessary so the story beats and there are a few of them and uh, some of them are quite emotive but they just weren't enough to endure the slog of playing it. It's got horrible pacing, the forced tutorials were awful as well. You've got that, that weird blue lady that keeps coming out of your sword <laughs> to say oh that's a, that's a master I denote um, uh, this that and the other there's a real jarring disparity between the fantasy realm that uh, the legends of zelda occupies and science fiction mm. and uh, popping out every now and then and saying, i think there's a 60% chance that this has made this happen percentages have no place in <laughs> the zelda games they've got no place like, fuck your numbers it doesn't even matter that you're you're well, why are you spouting out percentages when the thing that you think there's a 60% chance of happening happens because I'm the one controlling it and making it happen. It's fucking useless. (laughs) Oh, there's a 10% chance that if you open this chest, there's going to be a bit of treasure in there. There will be treasure in it, and I'm going to open it, and it's going (laughs) to (laughs) happen. It's a completely useless thing to say. It really is. I think as 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 a game that it was it was cursed by the fact that uh, so many people were demanding like a really nice neat chronology for the legend of zelda series like nobody demanded this with final fantasy they're just different stories loosely linked in maybe some kind of shared universe but who cares they're all good games play them as and when and just I'm, I'm really angry about it like <laughs> if you were if you're bringing out this game to kowtow to people who are demanding that you make a timeline you bring out the hyrule historia you make a really fucking messy and ugly timeline where oh it depends if if link beat Ganon in this game then it branches off into this timeline or if he loses it goes into this game but was he an adult when he won, or was he a child when he lost? It goes off into this timeline, this, time this time. There's no point having a timeline at all if all of these variables are so dependent on uh, the entire thing just trying to make sense. It, it, it's, like, it's like blowing a fucking dandelion clock. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. So, this game did not need to happen. I'm sorry. Putting it right at the beginning of the Zelda timeline and thinking, oh, well, we've got the ultimate evil who has sort of fiery red hair, so he sort of looks like Ganondorf. That'll be enough for everybody. No, it won't. Fuck off. Shut up. Oh, you've got a couple of Gorons (laughs) here and there. Oh, who cares? If this is an origin story for this wonderful franchise, then give us good origin stories for every single bit of the thing in this franchise that we love. Give us a reason for why these Gorons are... Sort of wandering around, be with their big fucking parchment maps. Like, why are they there? Have they come down from Elden Mountain? No, there's no, there's no reason for why they're there. They're just like, hey, great Goron, why don't you, uh, why don't you move your sword or play your harp where these butterflies are? That's all that my <laughs> character motivation is like. Why are you wandering around in the forest region when you are mountain folk? Why are then... Oh, I don't understand why this game was so critically acclaimed. I don't I don't know if it was just because um, people were like, oh, I've got the Wii remote in my hand and I'm swinging my sword and it's happening on the screen. But in the cold light of day, on this honest Christian morning, <laughs> the benefit of hind legs, I'm sorry to say that... I don't think this game is anything more than a 4 out of 10. Wow. Oh, worse than Balan Wonderworld. I agree with a lot of what, what you said. Uh, I enjoyed the game,
0: but like I said, when I was uh, summing it up, it was it was a slog to physically play it. You know, the gameplay wasn't good. It had a massive learning curve and a massive unlearning curve as well, which then impacted my enjoyment of... Playing Monster Hunter. I quite enjoyed the story for what it was, but like I said, I, I think that it's got more in comparison to the smaller chamber pieces that were on the DS. So, yeah, it doesn't deliver on giving you an epic story on the scale of Wind Waker or Twilight Princess or Breath of the Wild so probably if they were going to do an origin story, that's not the right way to do it. You know, it's like square Enix saying, Oh yeah, we're going to do a final fantasy origin story, but it's going to be, it's going to be a match three puzzle. I mean, that is, that is kingdom hearts to a T. There's
2: been, there's been quite a few times along that timeline where it's like, well, you wouldn't know what's happening in that game. If you didn't play a very short lived mobile RPG that only released in Japan, (laughs) it's it's that kind of horseshit that square Enix loves. So don't put it past
0: them. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. (laughs) That, fair enough i mean ultimately like i think like i said i'm not going to play it again i know that i'm going to keep it but i'm not going to play it
1: again Mm. i mean for all its flaws it does feel like a a heritage piece it's one of those ones that you've you've got to play it's a mainline zelda game It's, it's it's the one that sort of establishes the the timeline it sets the tone for for hyrule and all the rest of it even though it's most of it is just just tutorials and railroaded dog shit and (laughs) pseudo-open world that you can't land on at all because it's just rocks in the sky. I will say I'm glad to have played it, but if I never have to play it again, I'll be glad for that too.
0: Well, your life is in your own hands. (laughs) Have I
1: played anything else this week? With the news that, um, that Repentance is coming to consoles by the very latest at the end of Q3 this year I have been doing a couple of Isaac runs as well and to carry on my apparently now characteristic vitriol I've now completed the uh, the <laughs> post-it for Apollyon who I fucking hate and I don't think should have been a character at all one heart less than Isaac exactly the same stats with one item that shouldn't have been in the game at all because they took it in a stupid direction with uh, the whole uh, void and delirium and portals thing I haven't got any post-it notes done on the keeper yet because i'm i'm scared i'm scared jonathan and chris
0: hey uh, was that it like that took some <laughs> breaking of, of that back yeah to be yeah. able
1: to do that that was uh it was it was really
0: really good when when you when i'd done it but uh yeah
1: Ooh. yeah so i think i'm gonna i've got mega satan and greedier mode to do with the lost i think i'm gonna focus on those two and in repentance um the keeper gets an extra health point so I might just I might just wait and do it all when when the DLC comes out. So I beat Mega Satan with Apollyon. I think I voided up the D four, and I know there are there there are some people out there who hate sort of rerolling and the constant rerolling because um, it makes for a unpredictable and zany run. But to me, that's that's the that that's what I really love about the Binding of Isaac. The unpredictability, like if i ever get missing though the d4 i'm really excited to play with some of the new characters that take that unpredictability as a as a core mechanic of playing as them when uh, when the dlc comes out yeah, that, that unpredictably... That, that's what I love. Long may it rain. Long may it rain. Or not. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's it. That's all I've played. Skyward Sword and a little bit of Isaac.
0: So my couple of gaming weeks has been, I mean, fairly focused on finishing Monster Hunter Stories 2, which went on for longer than I thought it was going to, I'll be honest. Uh, I, I, As I always do, I had a look on howlongtobeat.com to see, and it said about 35 hours for the story. And I... I knew that that's probably... That was all I was gonna do with, with it. I wasn't gonna worry too much about post-game. But I, I didn't actually get to the final boss until about 55 hours oh in. Oh boy. And I don't know whether or not it's because I was sort of pacing myself for a 35-hour game that went on 20 hours longer, <laughs> or whether there were some pacing issues, but I did find those last 10, 15, 20 hours a bit more of a slog than uh, than a, a very, very enjoyable sort of first 30. Having said that, the story was great and it was really cinematic and I really enjoyed getting to the end and seeing how it ended. Some of the the final sort of fights that you do are just really, really good. They're really well made and for a turn-based game to feel like it has the agency that this game does is uh, is, is quite something. It, it really is because they can often be slow and cumbersome. It's just doing menu inputs. So, you know, so how how exciting can that really be? But uh, yeah, they did it really, really well. And I did have a little look at the post-game stuff. There's absolutely shit tons <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm not going to do any of it. I don't think, certainly not now. Well done. I mean, I, to be fair, like I've basically put, I don't know, 120 hours into Monster Hunter games in the last two months. Yeah, you need a rest. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, I did buy Monster Hunter Generations because it was on sale in the eShop. It was like £18, and that is meant to be like a, a best of all of the Monster Hunter games before Rise, featuring monsters and areas from all of the other games. It doesn't have the quality of life stuff that's in arise but I yeah I'm excited to I'm excited to play that at some point. I don't know whether or not it will be the next game I jump into. For now I've just been finishing off the Master System Mega Drive Picross game from Jupiter which has been really really nice. I've done all of the main puzzles. I haven't done the Mega cross oh. stuff. I don't, I, I've i never really got my head around that where like, you know, the clues like span two rows. My brain just doesn't doesn't do that. But I've done like the big like collage ones, like the, like the super, super sized ones. And I'm just on the last few of the colour cross ones, which I've really enjoyed. I have struggled a little bit because of like colour blindness, whereas like my brain doesn't quite see the patterns because the colours aren't quite as distinct. But you can turn on high contrast mode if you want to. And for some of the color palettes that are a bit more sort of shady, as it were, hiding in the corners, ready to ambush me, it does make it a bit easier. <laughs> and it's nice that you can sort of, you don't have to play every puzzle like that because it is nice sort of playing it with some of the shades and seeing like some of the the the, the pictures come together from from sort of the color palettes and going like just from a color palette, you go, I know that that's going to be Alex Kidd, or I know that's going to be a ring from Sonic, or something like that. You know, it, that's quite nice. So yeah, so I'm enjoying finishing finishing that off, and then yeah, I don't. I don't know what's going to be next. I feel like I need to get back to my PlayStation because I've got my stack of games is is getting a bit big again. I need to finish Demon's Souls. I've recently got the physical release of Blue Fire. Oh, lovely. PS4, which I'm really looking forward to playing again. I've still got Returnal. The trouble is, because I've had quite a time away from that now, I know I'm going to need to brush up on my skills massively. Knowing how punishing the game is and how long the session, the play sessions are... I don't think I'm going to return to that until they maybe do some quality of life updates to make it a bit more forgiving. Certainly in terms of like the longer play sessions and stuff, but I do want to finish it because it is so good. I'll tell you what I am going to do next is I'm going to check out the new areas on new Pokemon Snap that were, have been released because I haven't had a chance to play those yet. So that's going to be, that'll be my next thing. And then, uh, then we'll see. We'll see. So, The main feature today is Chris talking about his second favourite video game of all time. I've got a suspicion of what it might be, but I don't know. I don't know. It could be, it still could be anything. I mean, you seem to pull out games every week that you're playing that I've never heard of. (laughs) So it could be one of those. It could be one of those. You never know. Chris, please do tell us what your second favourite video game of all time is. Oh, boy. I have to say this has been a pig to write, and and I've <laughs> I've talked
2: now. Well, all of us, have, all of us have talked now about ninety eight other games on our lists, yeah. and and for the most part, I I found it relatively easy that I sit down, I kind of think about what it is about a game that makes me enjoy it so much, or why I love it, or why I have a particular memory connected to it. But for my number two, I wrote notes, I deleted notes, I rewrote notes. And, and I even attempted to outsource my notes to Georgia, like someone who has never played a game in this franchise. I, I thought, like, just see what she writes. Maybe that'll help me. So to kick us off, this is her words, aping what she thought my words should be. Brilliant. I bloody love Animal Crossing. It's a game that lets you go fishing, when in reality, your vegetarian moral compass would point you far in the opposite direction of such a heinous activity. You can deal in counterfeit works of art. You can whack people with shovels. What I truly love about this game is that, not unlike such titles as Assassin's Creed or any entry in the GTA franchise, Animal Crossing frequently reveals its seedy underbelly and invites you to give it a good old rub.
0: Join us next week where Minty will be... (laughs) (laughs) Honestly though,
2: stepping back and attempting to think about the thing that is Animal Crossing. Like, I don't know what truly makes a game a game but whatever it is, I don't think Animal Crossing necessarily has it mm. because there's there's no win state. There's no real marker for whether you're doing well or not. There's no ending. But it's a game that, across a few different iterations, has captivated me like almost nothing else I've ever played. And it's a game that we all know that you love, Jonathan.
0: Ah, uh, famously. It's a
2: game that you were mildly indifferent to, Minty, but still seem to appreciate, even if only as an observer, to Mrs. Minty's enjoyment of it. And it's a game that perhaps more than almost anything else the most recent iteration would define the first coronavirus lockdown of 2020 yeah you know it it is animal crossing that that's what it is or or for the purposes of my list at least uh, i have to use animal crossing new leaf on the nintendo 3ds as it was the last mainline game to release before our list shut closed but i mean everything i'm going to talk about applies to any of the mainline games in this series More than even Tetris, this is a game I think we've covered extensively on this show. (laughs) Like, we recorded a special exclusively about Animal (laughs) Crossing when New Horizons launched on the Switch. We gave weekly updates on how our islands were progressing for months after we all had our copies. New Leaf has already been your 12th favourite game of all time, Jonathan. Like, it's not a game that we haven't mentioned on this show. Irrespective of our own coverage of this game, it's a franchise that feels particularly pointless to explain anymore given that over half the switch owners in the world bought new horizons <laughs> jesus and and it's the 15th highest selling game of all time across all platforms it's the 15th highest selling game of all times like everyone listening to this knows what animal crossing is now and some listening to this may even be playing it right now if the <laughs> thousand hour plus playtime of some of my switch friends list is anything to go by but as I open with, I'm not sure how much of a game Animal Crossing really is. Because I guess it's a it's a life sim, it's a social sim, but with less customization and less gameplay in big inverted commas than something like the Sims. So instead, I I've been writing and rewriting and deleting and rewriting what I think Animal Crossing is. And and for me, I see it as a friend. Like the The characters and the atmosphere and the slow rhythm of Animal Crossing feels like spending time with a good friend. And it's the reason why the sweet familiarity of New Horizons landing when it did was so, so potent. Because at that point, normality and routine had been shuttered. The faces we'd see regularly all gradually became distorted through Zoom calls and Skype hangouts and whatever else. And whether it was colleagues or acquaintances, family or friends... Because obviously, the way we engage with each subset of people is different. Whoever they are, there's always a warmth even the stoniest of human interactions. Because all of us, even the most introverted, at our core, we we do have a desire to be social. And booting up New Horizons in March of 2020 somehow captured that warmth. Like within the first couple hours, you had K.K. Slider's cool swagger in the game's introduction. Mm. You had Tom Nook's consumer favoring business acumen, settling you into the the game's new setting and structure. And then after a few days when when Isabel pops up with her relentless work ethic keeping you busy <laughs> it just it, it, it felt so good uh, because her as a character like it didn't matter what you were doing. you always felt supported whether I'd turn the game on just to peruse the shop and then quit or if I was gonna conduct some serious landscaping across the island and play for five hours. These all felt like constants, just like our closest friendships in life. And and at this point, it had probably been maybe five or six years since I'd last played New Leaf properly. But just like how with a close friend, you can feel perfectly at ease instantly, no matter the time that's passed, when you see them again. I felt like I was at home, sat on the sofa, catching up the buddy, clinking glasses with a pal, just talking about rubbish. Because it felt at that point like Animal Crossing as the friend. May have been away for a few years. Maybe it went interrailing. railing Maybe it went travelling. Maybe it went touring with a band or performing stand-up. Maybe it took some time for itself. <laughs> or experimenting with with new hobbies or interests. It, it doesn't matter really because from the moment the title screen had loaded and the new mix of the game's theme started playing, the Animal Crossing I'd always known and loved was there, sat with me again, and it felt like we were laughing about things that had happened to us when we were younger, sharing stories of what we've been up to recently showing each other pictures of new partners, updating on how family we're getting on. You know, the, the very best friends we make in life, that is real life. <laughs> the people we keep in our inner circle are those who we know that demand very little of us, but are always there when we need them. And Animal Crossing is a series for me. Like Wild World, the first one I played, arrived during the period of transition where I was leaving school and college with all of the associated growing pains <laughs> as I started to try and, you know, become a young adult in the world. New Leaf arrived at the very beginning of my teacher training year and was with me through late night after late night, skills tests, essays, lesson planning, a relationship over distance at the time, the part-time care job I upheld for two thirds of the year to fund my course itself. And the New Horizons, as I've already mentioned, arrived at the height of a global pandemic, weeks into a national lockdown at a point where, unbeknownst to me at the time, I wouldn't see Georgia again properly until we moved in together four months later. Like... During each of these periods, Animal Crossing was there, content to be the thing that I could lose myself in for hours or the thing I'd commit just a few minutes to in the morning and evening as if I was just brushing my teeth. And that early point that Animal Crossing almost presents as an anti-game, I think that's its biggest selling point because it's whatever you want it to be. And, And in these times when things are particularly trying in the world, they're whatever you need it to be as well at the time you've switched it on. And it, there's just no pressure. So you, you can boot up an Animal Crossing game and, and think, okay, I can collect some things if I want, or, or maybe I won't. Or <laughs> I could curate the rooms of my house, or I might not. Or I could chat to villagers or islanders and maintain social connections with them, or not bother. Or I could fish, or catch bugs, or go diving, or take part in events, or visit other towns or villages, or trade items, or just do none of that and just instead choose to sit on a bench and enjoy the soundtrack and the ambient crash of the waves at the shoreline, or not, <laughs> You know, there's, there's, there's no push to do anything because you can't win, so you can't lose. And we all know the phrase, one man's rubbish is another man's treasure. And I think if you convert the material element of that platitude to instead reference the way an individual may choose to play a game like Animal Crossing, you can create a similar sentiment you know, there's no right or wrong way to approach this. So someone saying, well, I can't believe you're doing it like that. It, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And referring to New Horizons specifically as as the most recent release, um, you know, it had a hugely expanded list of activities. I know people in that game who have played for hundreds of hours, primarily just fishing, continuing on long after they'd filled their critopedia just because it was a nice thing to do. And I know people who have played mostly idle running day-long swap shops week after week to help out strangers online fill out their catalogues. (laughs) I know people who have relentlessly gamed the stork market, hawking turnips around the world to become self-made Animal Crossing billionaires. And I know people who micromanaged their island to the point every square of the map had been considered, every rock's location manipulated, every tree organised in cascading grids to maximise their harvest.
0: Thank you very much.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There were people that played for a month, people that may have played for six months, people that are still playing over a year and and people that I'm sure will likely play every day until the next major Animal Crossing release. And there's just no wrong or right way to play or approach the game. There's no judgment. There's no punishment. You can take your time, you do your own thing and it's just, it's bliss. You know, the worst thing that can possibly happen is you might go away for a few weeks, come back and there's some weeds to pull and your villagers go, oh, we missed you, but you're back now. It's a nice place to be all the time. And to art back to the friend analogy, in its breadth of activity, Animal Crossing is like the best friend who's equally happy to chat for an hour on the phone, happy to share memes over WhatsApp, happy to come shopping with you because you need a new pair of trousers for work, happy to go to the cinema with you, happy to have a big night out, happy to have a quiet one with a takeaway, just happy to be around you whether you're doing things together or engaged in a sort of parallel play. It's just Animal Crossing is, is there to be enjoyed. And and all of this point is, of course, to ignore its stunning art direction. You know, it's it's got deceptively simple visuals, but they have a complex lighting model these days with material shaders and simple physics interactions and a, a crisp, playful user interface. It ignores the outstanding soundtrack with its largely acoustic instrumentation, evolving hourly themes, seasonal variants, lovely ambient foley work. It's ignoring what must be one of the best, also most daunting localization jobs in games in in trying to give, you know, a largely unique voice to hundreds of villagers and key characters in a way that imbues all of them with a humanity and a personality, even in throwaway lines of interaction. And it's ignoring its value as a genuine social tool and bridge, which was evidenced firsthand by the fact you were both involved in throwing me my virtual 2020 birthday party (laughs) on Jonathan Dunn Island. You know, I mean sat here now in in the latter half of 2021 it's been a fair few months since I've booted up New Horizons but I know that whenever the next mainline Animal Crossing does launch in two or five or ten years down the line the time that's passed won't have dulled the thrill of seeing that old friend in the flesh again because Animal Crossing feels in any of its mainline forms because we're not talking about the mobile game we're not talking about Happy Home Designer that the core titles they're just such timeless things now my Twitter bio for almost the last decade has read, thankful that for every Rise, there's an Animal Crossing. <laughs> and whilst I've cooled a bit on the frustration I felt towards Rise when I first played it on the Xbox One, because honestly, if you, if you spend a five on it, knowing that it's just a four-hour no-brainer action hack and slash, you'll have a good time just don't treat it like a 50 pound marquee launch release. (laughs) But the point still stands for me that if Rise was to represent kind of mad dash for, for high-end visual supremacy, for cinematic linear experiences, for, for voice talent and everything else that's come with the Hollywoodization of video games, then I am truly thankful for animal crossing and it's plaintive patient, bucolic take on just being. And, Every single game that has attempted to copy even a little bit of Animal Crossing's blueprint has failed because you have games that are too similar. So think games like Castaway Island and they come away just as blatant rip-offs. Or if they're too different, even by a margin, you start getting games like Summer in Mara or even Stardew Valley. And, and for better or worse, they're then too gamey. Like Animal Crossing in its initial N64 and GameCube release was one of the bravest games I think Nintendo have ever, ever put out. Because even thinking back to something like Yoshi's Story, when that came out in the N64, players whinged that it wasn't video gamey enough. There wasn't enough stuff to do and find and beat. But years on, the sales records of New Horizons and the legions of now devoted fans must feel like, you know, sweet, sweet vindication for Nintendo (laughs) that media doesn't need to be this way or that. And that that initial weird experiment paid off handsomely you know animal crossing is the anti-game that somehow is no more or less game than any other you can press buttons and enjoy rise and you can press buttons and enjoy animal crossing and i think that sentiment is what i would if i had a glass to hand right now be raising it up to say (laughs) to my second favorite video game of all time the animal crossing series is unparalleled it is a marvelous thing and I, i really do love it like i said like a close friend
0: well uh, there's nothing else to say but cheers to that
2: (laughs) put a little glass clinking sound there
0: (laughs) (laughs) so there we go that was chris's second favorite video game of all time and it was Animal Crossing New Leaf, technically. <laughs> <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode or if you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do share the podcast on your social media platforms and reach out to us on ours. You can find all of our social media links if you go to our link tree, which is linktr.ee forward slash O3C you can also reach out to us individually you can take us to task on our opinions you can tell us what you're playing you can just chat with us about literally anything we may or may not respond but you can find me on twitter at jonathan dunn you can find me at Chaz underscore
1: hodges you can fight me at clement underscore
0: (laughs) (laughs) and if you're really enjoying what we're doing please do head over to patreon.com slash our three cents Have a look at some of the amazing perks you can get in exchange for some support to us. We would really, really love it if you did. And please do join us next week where Minty will be telling us all about his second favorite video game of all time, which could literally be (laughs) anything, apart from a specific list of 98 other games that it's probably not. But
1: even still, who knows? (laughs) The box one of those games came in. Could be a manual.
0: Who
1: knows? <laughs> oh, <winter menus. laughs> And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor.
0: Oh boy, I can't wait for Future History 101 today.
1: I hear Prof. Timesworth is going to teach us about World War Six. Gather round, students.
2: It is time to learn.
0: Podford University, where history and future are the same class. Available on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. Hi,
1: Stu. Hi, Luke.
0: Do you fancy doing a podcast? Covering every segment of every episode of the beloved 90s cartoon Animaniacs. No, I hate Animaniacs. Join me, Luke, the
1: Warner lover, and him, Stu, the Warner resistor, for AnimaniChat. Covering every segment of every episode of the hit 90s cartoon Animaniacs, as well as its many spin-offs, including comics, video games,
0: and the movie. Not to mention the recent reboot. It's gonna be explainy to the max.
2: Oh.